Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com, movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show, our final show of 2021. It is our annual underrated, overrated, and ugly show for the year, which means I'm joined once again for this very special episode by the man, JB. Because I am underrated, overrated, and ugly. Hey, you checked all the boxes, babe. Bro. Bro. <laughs> um, yeah, we get to say goodbye to this year. Uh, I don't know. Goodbye. Right? No, you know, I'm not going to We did be all as... that for 2020. I didn't think we'd have to do it again yeah, for 2021. I'm not going to be as cynical because, as Ty Burr pointed out, <laughs> Ty Burr, who used to write for Entertainment Weekly. I remember. And until recently wrote for the Boston Globe, he set out on his own. And now he's got this little newsletter you, you could subscribe to. That um, he pointed out just this morning that say what you want about underlying social conditions. It was a great year for movies. All right. Good. There's some positivity. And you don't agree. It's not that I don't agree. I just still haven't been able to complete a top ten list. And we're recording it next week. And yet you've seen at least two movies that I am still waiting for okay. my turn in line. Okay. And this is completely off topic. Have you seen this movie from a foreign country? Oh, Looney Tunes. Oh, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. Have you seen it? I have not. Everything I've read tells me this is up your alley. Yeah. Social satire, pornography. Um, I don't know how to see it. It yet, checks though. all the boxes, bro. And it's making people's 10 best list. Yes, I've seen that. That's how I have heard of it, but I haven't seen the movie. Um, so this is our annual show where we talk about the movies that we love that maybe not everybody paid enough attention to, the movies that we didn't get, perhaps, and the movies that are kind of terrible. And disturbing trends. I've Ooh, disturbing, disturbing trends. trends. I like it. But we're going to start optimistic. I Always. Think in the last few years, we've said... Why don't we do our listeners a service? Yes. And maybe, I know I appreciate it when someone uh, points out a movie that they've seen that they loved and they say, you should check this out, and, and I do, and it's great. My Little Pony, The Next Generation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think was unfairly- Was that from over this year? <laughs> it was. <laughs> wow. It was, a, no. Um, this is my humble attempt to be Doug right. for just a minute. Right. Because back when we used to do these- Doug would bring up the most <laughs> obscure turds of the year and just dazzle us with, oh, how I do you I still remember him doing Mordecai and starting with, like, Morda who Mordecai. How do you keep that all in your brain? Yeah. So I'm going to start, and we should talk for a while about underrated films yes. that maybe didn't get the acclaim in the audience that they deserved. Yes. And this film was uh, uh, Esquire Magazine sends me emails that exist to make you follow the link to an article online. So I guess there's ad revenue involved. I don't know what's in it for them. But it was about halfway through the year, and it was like the best movies of the year so far. Okay. And this one piqued my uh, interest, and I wound up seeing it streaming. And why more people didn't see it, why it didn't get a big theatrical release, I don't know. It's called The Dig. Okay. Ray Fiennes, Karen Knightley. She inherits a big plot of land in England. I remember hearing about story. it. Yeah. And there's evidence that maybe in some of those little mountains, those are burial mounds of previous 
peoples who have roamed this plane, and she hires this local guy who's who has no credentials, but he loves to dig. He's obsessed with archaeology, and she hires this man, and it's Ray Fiennes. And I don't want to give anything away, but it's this amazing story of these two people who find each other. It has nothing to do with romance. Um, the British Museum tries to step in at one point and say, well, this is far too important historically for you two nobodies to be. Incredible acting, subtle social commentary, a very intriguing premise and narrative. Any of you listening to this, if you sit down over the next couple nights and watch The Dig, I guarantee you will have a good time. Wow, okay. I got to tell you, the description doesn't sound like something that would immediately pique my interest. Here's a potential blockbuster about archaeology. Ray Fiennes, archaeology, the British Museum? Because ultimately Sign me it's, the not, fuck up. it's not about archaeology. Uh, it's about the two characters and watching... It's about the friends we made along the way. Watching Fiennes in The Dig made me think that though I really like James Bond movies, I think he's misused in the James Bond movies. Okay. Not underused, but misused. Okay. Um, because looking back over his career, I, I love him as an actor, and he's given some of my... I mean, my God, he's in Quiz Show. Right. He's given a lot of performances that I really like. Does this mean you will be going to see The King's Man? Well, what gave me some hope mm. about... The King's Man um, is that I read a review because I was seeing trailers for that pre-pandemic, right? And then it got delayed. And um, I think I've seen that trailer where what's his name dances as Rasputin a hundred times. Every time I go to the movies, they show that trailer. That the producers of that series thought that the series had gone off track. And gotten cartoonish, and this is their attempt ah. to rein it back. Have you seen it yet? No. I never um, saw the second one either, so. And clearly the fact that this one's historic. I don't know. I had seen the trailer so many times, I felt every time I saw the trailer, I wanted to see it less. Right. But it's got a great cast. Yeah. Interesting action sequences. Ray Fiennes? I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of Ray Fiennes, do you think... No Time to Die got the attention it deserved? Or by the time it was released, was it, oh, this is finally out? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of that. I think releasing it in October was kind of a weird choice. Um, eh, it's still a big hit. Made a bunch of money in the United States. Made way more worldwide. Which makes me happy because I think during the pandemic, that was the film I was most disappointed that I was going to have to wait to see. And I saw it in a theater, yeah. and I, in the last week, I've seen it on 4K because it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked it even more the second time because my chief quibble the first time was I thought it was a tad long. Right. But if you think about it as, um, oh, where's my brain? As Daniel Craig's swan song is a sort of wrap-up to this era of <laughs> James Bond, um, it's really, really good. yeah. And that... then I saw Léa Seydoux yes. in the French Dispatch yes, and realized that I had seen her in a bunch of other things but had never connected the dots. Right. She's in Inglorious Bastards. She's half of 
Blue is the warmest color. Who is she in Inglorious Bastards? I forget. She's in it. Is she really? Um, that once I knew who she was, because I thought she was really terrific in No Time to Die. Yeah. Um, she tops that performance, I think, in The French Dispatch. Um, what she's doing in French Dispatch is just fearless for a number of reasons. Um, I'm glad No Time to Die made some money. No Time to Die being delayed. The first time it got delayed was like uh, when they see the ripple in the cup in Jurassic Park. That was the first indication that like, oh, this shit is serious. Things are going to start shutting down. Because that was the first big movie to say, no, we're pushing back. Because I still remember, and this was a long ass time ago. Yeah. Risky and I thinking James Bond is when we'll go back. Okay. For a really long right. time, right. because they kept pushing it. Right, right, right. Uh, my first underrated pick is a movie that got savaged by critics, but which I thought was very entertaining, and that is Willy's Wonderland, starring Nicolas Cage in a silent performance <laughs> as a drifter who is uh, roped in to clean up uh, a an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese, basically, except it's called Willie's Wonderland, but it's a Chuck E. Cheese. It's a pizza place with animatronics, and uh, and little does he know that the animatronics come to life and try to murder you. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a one joke concept. It's Five Nights at Freddy's. It really got ripped apart, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought Nicolas Cage seemed like he was having a blast. Uh, the gore gags are really fun. It's short. It's got lots of energy. Uh, and it's available to stream on Hulu. I was led to believe that it was a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm sorry. So it's not. It is not. And much like a few other films, one of which we may discuss next week, mm. lately it's your love of Nicolas Cage that makes you see these things. Yes. And then discover what a renaissance he's had as an actor. And then you go on and on. And that's the only reason why I see Mandy. Yeah. And it's the only reason I see everything's uh, color out of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the only reason I'm going to see Willie's Wonderland. Yeah. And I can tell you it's the only reason I saw Pig. Okay. Because if a film has been mismarketed <laughs> and mis mispresented... Um, it's pig, but Willy Willy's Wonderland sounds great. It's fun, I, you know. It's uh, goofy, but I, I I thought it was odd that the critical response was so harsh. And it's basically the second of two movies that are Five Nights at Freddy's because they made a Banana Splits movie. That's actually that's Five Nights at Freddy's, and I was bummed out a because I was a Banana Splits fan as a kid. I can sing the theme song. Sure. Uh, and I was like, well, this isn't how you use them in a movie. You don't no. turn them into murderous robots. I would suggest that whatever anthology film you want to make, yeah. you use the banana right. splits just like on the show you to just introduce make a sketch the movie. segments. Right, exactly. exactly. Why, why aren't we running things? And I know another film uh, that got critically savage that we'll talk about in a second. But if you haven't yet seen the documentary Val. Yes. I would suggest you do for two reasons. Okay. Number one, it's this very interesting guy and actor telling his own story. And apparently Val Kilmer kept everything because the range of things that we see, like behind the scenes home movies from Top Gun, that's very cool. 
Two, Val Kilmer's had some medical problems which render him unable to speak easily. And the trope the film uses that Val Kilmer's son sounds exactly like Val Kilmer in his heyday, and so the son narrates it is just an incredible coincidence. But here's why I think our listeners should see Val. When Val tries for the big moment, it fails every time. When he tries to be deep, when he tries to be profound, it falls on its face. Okay. And then there are other moments that are not planned, that are not scripted, that achieve what he meant to do with those other moments beautifully. I know of one specifically, but I don't want to spoil it. Uh, Do I think it's worth your time? I really do. Yeah. I went into it, is this worth my time? (laughs) And obviously the fact that I'm a big Val Kilmer fan. And it also answers the question, what if you get really famous doing a funny voice and saying one line? What is it like then to live the rest of your life with people doing an impression? The tombstone thing? And mentioning Huggleberries. Right. But the narration where he talks about all the autograph shows he does because of Tombstone, I found very, very interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of people who do autograph shows don't talk honestly about what that's like. Right, right, right. Um, I think the last person to do it was Carrie Fisher. There's that Carrie Fisher documentary where she speaks very honestly about what she's doing, Mm -hmm. and it's refreshing. I knew I was a Val Kilmer fan. I used to like Val Kilmer, but he had gotten to be so notably uh, difficult to work with and uh, had such sort of a bad reputation about him that I think I forgot just how many great movies he's in and how many great performances he's given until I was watching Val. And I was like, holy shit, Val Kilmer's in a lot of great movies and is great in a lot of them. Um. I was listening to a podcast where a filmmaker who worked with him said, oh, that documentary is a crock of shit. He's the worst person I've ever known. And that's interesting because the part of the documentary that deals with the island of Dr. Moreau, Mm -hmm. maybe because I've seen the film by the original director, I'm sitting there saying, this is the sin of omission. I know a lot about the making of this film, and he's not talking about any of that. Right, right, right. He's narrow casting to talk about pretty much how he got along with Brando. Right. So clearly it's not a film where he reveals that he may have been a sociopath, but I think there's enough really worthwhile yeah, stuff I agree with that. in there, um, including his beginnings and his real passion for acting yeah. when he went to school yeah. and that he wasn't this... Also, some of the things he talks about, about dating Cher, I thought were interesting about being, oh, you're the less, you're the less famous part of that equation. Um, It is funny to me that he was so serious about acting and was big on stage and his first kind of breakthrough role in Hollywood, his first role period was top secret because it couldn't have been more opposite of what he was trying to be as an actor, although top secret rules. Right. And you have to give him credit. For not pursuing a career repeating top right, secret. Right. Yeah. 
Um, my next underrated pick is another Nicolas Cage movie. He made three this year. Two are on my underrated list. One we'll talk about next week. Uh, but it's the latest movie from Cyan Sono called Prisoners of the Ghost Land, uh, which is available to stream on Shudder if you're at all interested. It kind of takes place in a post-apocalyptic future. Nicholas Cage is a bank robber who is enlisted by Bill Mosley, who gives a great performance, and it's fun to see him used in something that isn't just total schlock, uh, uh, to go rescue his niece, played by Sofia Butella. Um, and to motivate him, they strap explosives to all of his extremities, his neck, and his testicles. That explains the publicity pictures I've seen from the set. Okay. Um, it's part samurai film, part spaghetti western, part uh, post-apocalyptic action movie. It, it was almost on my top 10, but I revisited it and I couldn't in good conscience put it on my top 10 because it's slower than it should be. As I'm describing it, it sounds like the greatest movie ever made. And you watch it and it it lacks the energy that it should have. But it's got some beautiful imagery, some great ideas. Um, Nicolas Cage giving a fun performance. Uh, Bill Mosley being really, really great. There's a lot to recommend it and I wish more people would see it. Um, but not quite up to my top 10. And Bill Mosley, who I love, needs to be given better material lately than the 87 autograph shows he still <laughs> attends. When you first brought it up, I thought for a nanosecond that I had seen it, but it turns out one night that was the discussion between my lovely wife and I, that or this. Okay. And we came so close <laughs> To watching that, but we watched this. You don't remember what you saw instead? No, although I think it may have been Power of the Dog. Oh, well, you probably chose wisely then. But you you see where not knowing much about both films. Right. Well, they're both Western. It's on Shudder. It's worth the free that you have to pay for it. Well, I was going to say, except for Joe Bob, I don't watch Shudder enough. Oh, okay. So this would justify continuing to pay that uh, uh, ransom. So um, Malignant got (laughs) all this attention. So I guess it's not underrated. Got all this attention on social media. It's divisive. Therefore, it it could be underrated. Well, one has to see this. <laughs> That's all people are talking about for a week. And um, I loved it so much. Yeah. It was so much fun. <laughs> I I think its biggest flaw was it wasn't actually trying to do all the things that people were claiming that it was trying to do and okay. failing at. Okay. It reminded me of, um, I don't want to date either of us, but when I started teaching. I wouldn't want to date either of us either. But um, punch. Why don't you two get a room? When I started teaching, it was 1985, and all these amazing low-budget horror films came out that were revelations. And Dan Geyer and the Herald would actually champion them and say, uh, "I don't know what your personal taste is, <laughs> but you have to go see the Reanimator." Mm-hmm. Like that. It reminded me of the Reanimator and Evil Dead Two and all these low-budget horror films that I saw when I was in my 20s. Just so crazy and so confident and Mm -hmm. so fun. Mm -hmm. 
It's really fun. I agree. And I would argue it's scary. I don't know if I would agree with that. Well, that's... <laughs> but that's, that's subjective. That's very subjective. Right. But um, there were aspects to it, especially the special effects and makeup associated with the main character. Yeah. That I thought were very well done and scary. Again, the what, what was great for me watching Malignant... Uh, and I saw it maybe a day after it debuted, which means Twitter had already talked around the twist, but kind of already spoiled it, um, is that it gives you a reveal about halfway through, and you're like, oh, okay, that's the game they're playing. And then... And it's not. <laughs> it's not. Which is great. And the test that I use for every twist and every film ever made, I used to call it the psycho test. Uh, but then Wes Craven made Scream, which I thought did the exact same thing. The twist is far-fetched, but it plays fair. Right. If you go back, you could have figured it out if you were extraordinarily smart and paying attention. And like a lot of people did with Sixth Sense, which I wouldn't put in the same category as Psycho or Scream. If you go back and follow the logic, it does play fair and doesn't cheat. And... I thought the real revelation, not the fake yeah, one, yeah, yeah. was very clever yeah. and and interesting in terms of some of the things the film wanted to talk about. I I don't understand why anyone would hate this film <laughs> to the extent that I read hate for it. Sure. I mean, it's, it's pitched a, a very specific way. And if you're not... In for that. How is it pitched? It's very over the top. Sure. Very. But that's what I that's what I like about it. Hundred percent agreed. It's, it's me operatic. Too. Right, me too. Um but if you're not into that, I think some people think it's being bad on purpose. I think some people think it's just being bad. You know, I don't know to what degree it's bad on purpose. Because the performances are kind of questionable. Which which I had heard, and I had actually heard that from you. I really liked the lead. Okay. I thought she did fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I don't and I was not familiar with her. Yeah, the only other thing I could think of that she's in is Annabelle. Right. Which Right. That's I don't think I've seen any of those. No. I saw all of them in October. You're fine. Although once I was at, how can I put this? I don't know. A very famous special effects studio. Oh, right. And I was told the one thing that I was not allowed to photograph. Was it Annabelle? Because of the studio's wishes. Interesting. And I think, because I'm not very bright, I interpreted that as, oh, and you can't see the movies either. <laughs> Which makes no sense because at no point, at no point was I told that. But my mind made the jump. If you could just not photograph that, okay, and I'll do you one better. I will never see a movie with that doll in it either. I promise never to even lay my eyes on it. Um, my next pick is a western. Uh, it's a movie called Old Henry. Starring Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. Uh, directed by, I'm going to mess his name up, Patsy Ponceroli. 
uh, written and directed by Ponzi, Potsy Ponsaroli. Tim Blake Nelson, who I love. Have you seen Old Henry? No, because there was another night where it was between Power of the Dog and Old Henry. Okay. Well, they're both Westerns, and Power of the Dog won. Um, I saw Tim Blake Nelson one year at Ebert Fest. Okay. And was very blown away how, in reality, he is nothing like any character he has ever played. Okay. Uh, he's on stage with Ebert, and he's being interviewed, and it's like, is that him? He doesn't <laughs> not act. A he doesn't speak. Southern he doesn't, buffoon. Right? He's right. He's I did Tim Blake Nelson make Leaves of Grass? Yes, that's what he was there okay. talking about. And um, spoiler alert: Tim Blake Nelson has one scene in Nightmare Alley. Yes, and I wish he were in Nightmare Alley sure. more because I like Tim Blake Nelson so much. Sure, sure, sure. But I read about Old Henry, and it's supposed to be great. It's great. Um, I don't even want to give that much away. It involves Stephen Dorff as a bad guy who wants the person that old Henry is sort of sheltering. Old Henry and his son are sheltering this fugitive that Stephen Dorff wants. So it's a kind of a siege movie. It's kind of Assault on Precinct 13 say, in the Rio Old Bravo. West. Right, Rio Bravo. Uh, there's money involved, obviously. Um, there's more to it, but I don't want to give anything else away but it's a great performance a really great western another movie that just came short of my top 10 and uh, a rebuke to people who say they're not making westerns anymore because the last time i looked there were a few this year yeah and they were all great yeah it seems like every year i have a western either on my top 10 or on my underrated because i'm just a mark for these things so if you make a western chances are i'm going to like it and if you make a western chances are i will see it Eventually, after we watch Power of the Dog. <laughs> Six or seven times, because you're constantly choosing that over the other movie. Um, Patrick used to make fun <laughs> of his children's movie taste. <laughs> but, of course, this is because both of them were younger than ten. Right. And young people of that age, their favorite food is mac and cheese. I mean, right? But... I have to tell you this, and I think I've told you this before. They're getting very close to the sweet spot that Jake once hit. When Jake was 11 or 12, he started saying, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And it was a Pleasantville and Bowfinger and Big Fish. Oh, kids developing it to some taste. <laughs> so the film this year that your children were so shilling for, and couldn't believe that we hadn't seen it, and insisted that we see it. Like, maybe right then. We're sitting down right now. <laughs> we know you have that streaming service. Oh, I know what this is. Um, is um, Mitchell's versus the Machine? Yeah. Which, when I sat down, I didn't realize it was Mr. Lord and Mr. Miller, yeah. who I'm big fans of. And when you imagine what Mitchell's versus the Machines could have been, if it was, like, done by the secret life of past people or something. <laughs> it's so clever and so packed with jokes and so much better than it has to be. Um, it gave me a personal meme that I'm still using, um, like a little gentleman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Uh, full of jokes. Full of jokes. Has some decent messaging. Has some actual, like... But never beats you over the no, head. No, no, I don't think so. But the stuff with the dad and the daughter is huge. And the stuff, 
even with the daughter in terms of representation is like a big deal, then they don't even call attention to that or beat you over the head with that. It's just Olivia presented. Coleman was a great choice. Yeah. To be the um the the computer voice. Of the animated films I saw this year, it was my favorite. I didn't see Belle. I would say that it's tied, that it's a tie. With the other film that your daughter would not rest. In fact, I think the first time I saw it, I saw it with your daughter. Probably. Um, and this should come as no surprise, but Luca is very delightful. Yeah. I would like to get into a debate with someone about whether it goes too far in terms of its message being a little heavy-handed. But I think it's a message that kids need to hear. And I don't think this spoils anything. My favorite joke in Luca is that two characters who've sort of been in the background during the entire film are revealed at the end to be part and parcel of the film's big message. And it's like, oh, that's a really interesting thing to include. Um, it's very funny. It's very well animated. Um, Mitchell's versus the Machines and Luca have something in common. Maya Rudolph is the mother voice yeah, in both. That's right. Look at that. Um, and if you just want to have a fun, delightful time and pop some corn as winter sets in, uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines and Luca are very, very entertaining. And Luca will make you want to buy a Vespa scooter. <laughs> uh, my daughter was all about Luca for two or three weeks, was constantly playing it on Disney Plus and talking about it. And then it just vanished from her mind and she hasn't asked to go back to it. But was it replaced by something else? Uh, West Side Story. It's her new obsession. Which I saw with you guys in the yeah. theater. Yeah. But I think between Luca and West Side Story, <clears throat> there was something else that probably had, that had some real estate in her head because we were watching it at our house and she revealed to us how many times she had seen it. Hmm. I think it was on Disney Plus. Okay. But I don't remember. When was you're nine. It? Yeah, right. It's a passing thing. I don't know. And soon, Patrick, it will be boys. Oh, I know. I just found out that my 15-year-old niece has a boyfriend, and I didn't know how to respond to that because that's crazy. The only thing I can ever think to say as the grandfather familius <laughs> um, is to tell... All of my nieces, all of my goddaughters, all of every every female young person uh, with which I'm associated, boys are poison. <laughs> Stay away from them. Uh, my next pick <laughs> was a movie that boys are poison. Was called Did boys are poison. Poison boys and. Uh, it's funny because this one was back and forth between my underrated and my overrated list <laughs> because it probably belongs on both. And that is M. Night Shyamalan's Old, which is a movie I still can't decide how I feel about it. Which I have successfully avoided, although in every late night conversation about what to watch, it raises its ugly head because <laughs> my lovely wife would like to see it. But instead you watch... Power of the Dog. That's right. <laughs> so. Um, 
It is fascinating. There's things about it that are so great, and then there's things about it that are kind of terrible. Uh, it is reminiscent of Malignant in that way, except I would say Malignant is more consistent and successful in its goals. I originally wanted to see it because of its cast. It's got a lot of people in it that I like who I haven't seen in a lot of movies who I'd like to see in another movie. They're not giving great performances, and which, they're given pretty which, bad dialogue. Which I've also read. Yeah. It's a great concept. Well, I was just going to say, is it another one of the M. Nights where the premise is gold and then... A little bit. A little bit. It's a mess, but it's a fascinating mess, and it sent me down a whole M. Night rabbit hole where I rewatched most of his movies and gave me a new appreciation for his work, and I came back to old and liked it a lot better the second time because I was watching it in the context of his larger filmography. So it's the M. Night equivalent of an SNL sketch. Lately, and I don't know why we still watch... <laughs> I still enjoy it. I once did a column called Glutton for Punishment, which yeah. I'm guessing describes me. At the end of every sketch, my wife and I will look at each other and say, all premise, no punchline. Right. You know, it's that character in the original Scarface. I like a show with jokes. <laughs> well, the punchline so often on SNL is like that they have to contextualize it in some way. They have to like... Make it an ad for something. And oh, it's like, no, it was right. funnier when it was just some weird... The pullback. Right. Like, no, I I think of that Kate McKinnon sketch where... She, or it's Amy Poehler. And Josh Brolin was hosting. Right. And she's pregnant. And, and it's wacky and funny and yeah. weird. And then it becomes... A, it's an ad for something. But it's like, no, it didn't need to be an ad. It could just be a funny sketch. It's not specifically this, but it's like pregnancy genes right exactly for when you're pregnant <laughs> right exactly but it was all in the in the concept in the performances it's like yes. i've never seen this right let's right speaking of premise yes i think it might have been comedy central that decided that they were going to do a bunch of funny hallmark movies okay and i've only seen one i haven't seen any of them and they were clever enough to hire Anna Gasteyer and Rachel Dratch to write it. Okay. And at least one of them must really like these Hallmark things because it's called, you'll excuse my pronunciation, A Cluster Funk of Christmas. And you can watch it right now if you have cable. You know, you have the option of watching it on demand. Every cliche examined, it's almost... As good as uh, they came together. Okay. Uh, the two screenwriters, uh, Gasteyer and Dratch, play the proprietors of this little hotel that sort of everyone in the town lives for December because the town comes alive. Right. And the career woman, you know the, you yeah. know the template. Yeah. Really funny. About every 10 minutes, it goes in a direction that you weren't expecting, so they're not just connecting the dots right, right, right. And, and doing that. Um, wonderful performance as the hotel's handyman who doesn't want to get involved with tourists and is very good with his hands. And I, I'm sorry to say, I can't remember his name, but he was on a couple seasons of 30 Rock. Okay. Um, as, as a character on 30 Rock and nails the sexy new boyfriend Hallmark performance 
He's not jumping out at me. I'm looking at the IMDb page, but I can't think of who he might be. <laughs> There's a character named Chancington Winterthorpe the Fifth. That's the female protagonist's fiance. Okay. <laughs> who, of course, is the uh, Ralph Bellamy of the piece. <laughs> In other words, the wrong guy. He's he's the one she needs to shed. Right. In favor of more authentic pleasures, like. Fire, fire pit picnics in the woods, you know, where you actually learn who the love of your life is. The names themselves are pretty funny, old-timey doctor. And I would argue that clearly Hallmark films are ripe for parody, but this one was so fun and so generously spirited that it also sort of worked as what it was trying to be. Got it. That right. it also right. worked... As a romantic comedy, right. though exaggerated, um, well worth your time. Okay. I went in, I had seen one of them on a talk show, and they showed one scene, and I thought, well, that looks funny. Oh, the um, the sisters who run the hotel make this food stuff. I forget what it is. And, of course, the female protagonist is going to help them get online and 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 she's the business right, that's right, right. gonna right. anyway. You need to see a cluster funk Christmas. Okay, because that's their name. Right, I figured and with, once I saw the title. With cluster, cluster Funke. Several several right. umlauts over several letters. <laughs> um, we need to get Adam and Allison to watch it. I would love to read their take <laughs> yeah. because I've seen one Hallmark movie. I've okay. seen one Hallmark Christmas movie. And it involved time travel. <laughs> I don't remember how it's possible, but she winds up in the 40s. Okay. And it's her town, and she falls in love with a guy who... Turns out to be her dad. <laughs> I don't think Hallmark's going there. Well then, well, then it would be a distaff version of Back to the Future. Yeah. But obviously that was the complication, and Jan and I watched it one night and it it was like we were looking at something in a museum it was like we were looking at at like a historical artifact or something it was like now who is the audience for this <laughs> like why was this made what what is the purpose of and she's a nurse and spoiler alert which isn't a spoiler cuz i don't remember what it's called <laughs> i think as a nurse in the 40s she winds up saving the life of, like, her mom. See, so I wasn't far off. If she hadn't... Right, she never would she have been would, born. Well, it would be Back to the Future. Yeah. She's, picture this. She's performing an operation on her mother. Oops. And, and, <laughs> Just and she blips out of existence. <laughs> she ceases she, she to be. Not that there's any pressure here, but let me explain to you what's at stake. Uh, can we find someone else to operate on the mom? <laughs> That was not the plot, but um, and apparently they're all kind of the same. That's my understanding. Good values versus old. Right. Romance is involved. Right. Right. Christmas is a time to reevaluate what's important to you. Yeah, they've become the uh, ninety-three point nine light FM of movie watching, which is just like, well, it's about Christmas and it's on at this time of year, so I'm just going to leave it on as background noise. And I haven't watched it yet. But Treat Williams, who I love as a performer, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he has a Twitter feed that will make you 
like humanity a little bit more because he seems like a decent guy who loves his life. He has made several of them and enjoys being in them. Okay. And I believe it's called A Christmas House where his wife is Sipowitz's wife from NYPD Blue. Okay. Sharon Lawrence okay, I is also in this. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the actors who play the family have become friends in real life and they look forward to seeing each other every year because apparently a Christmas house is popular. Oh. And so perhaps we will get a Christmas house every year. Let's hope they travel in time at some point. That being said, it's never actually gotten me to sit down and watch a no. Christmas house. No. Um, Erica just got me Prince of the City for Christmas. Which I'm dying to know what you think because Warner Archive. I've seen it before, yeah. Well, when you see it. Oh, I see. It was hard to see for a while. Okay. Warner Archive put it out. Yeah. And I bought it. Yeah. And and watched it. And my reaction this time was very different than when I saw it when it originally came out. What was I'm your... Just, I'm interested to get your take. What was your reaction this time? For me, it didn't hold up. Okay. I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, which was only a couple of years ago. And I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, the night it was released theatrically. Okay. Back when no one knew who Jerry Orbach was. So I only have heartbreak to look forward to is what you're no, saying. No, no, no. I hope it works for you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not 19 anymore. Mm. I had some quibbles. All right. That's all. All right. My last underrated pick isn't super underrated because the people that have seen it have loved it. Uh, but I haven't heard enough about it. And that is a Danish film called Riders of Justice. And the title and the red box cover art make it look just like a Steven Seagal movie, except it's Mads Mikkelsen instead of Steven Seagal. But okay, that that's everything about the name of it and the look of the poster art is almost designed to repel you to think like, well, this looks like trash and I don't really want to see it. Um, but it's not. It's really, really good. Um, he plays a soldier who, uh, mild spoilers for the premise of the film, his wife is killed in a train accident. And there's another man on the train who gave up his seat so that she could sit down. He survives and she dies. And he's feeling incredibly guilty about this and starts to think, maybe it wasn't an accident. What if there was a guy on the train who these bad people were trying to take out. So they caused the accident. Mm -hmm. So he kind of gets mad. Mads Mikkelsen involved and a couple friends and they go on this revenge mission, but it's sort of a fumbled revenge mission. Um, it's really good. It's funny. It's sad. It's violent. Uh, it's terrific. It's in Danish, but, uh, once you mentioned Mads Mikkelsen, I suddenly remembered what it was. Because one night we almost watched it, <laughs> but instead we watched Power of the Dog. Three yeah. quick ones. Yeah. Um, Summer of Soul, I don't think, got the attention it deserved for what it is. It got some attention. It'll probably win like a Best Documentary Oscar. It, it deserved more, and it's worth your time, so that's why I think it's underrated. It's on Hulu, as yes. is Riders of Justice, by the way. Um. If you have Hulu. Is Jacob's Wife 2021? Yes. Okay. We saw that on Scary Movie Night. Correct. And I was very taken with how clever it was and how it very easily could have been something awful. Super good. And because of the script and its two main performances, yes. it becomes 
the weirdest domestic drama you've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. And um, another the, the final film where I couldn't understand why more people weren't talking about it, but I thought maybe it's because in the last half hour it becomes something very different than its first hour. Um, no Sudden Move. Uh, the new Steven Soderbergh film mm-hmm. is amazing, if only for its cast. Sure. And that just got dumped. Yeah. It's on a streaming service. It's on HBO Max. And you would think the cast alone would warrant some sort of attention. And I really liked it. I could see how some people think it gets a little weird and preachy at the end. But oh my God. Yeah, I thought it was good. I kind of forgot it, to be honest. But I agree. The cast is really good. It's directed really well. We're we're just living in this weird content period where a new Steven Soderbergh movie shows up and it's just more content and it's replaced in two days by the latest episode of sex in the city and you kind of it gets pushed away and it's a period film so the attention to detail in the costumes and the sets and the cars are really interesting and he's doing a weird thing with lenses yes that takes a little while to get used to but if you are watching the film and you form a theory as i did Ah. as to what the lenses mean um it certainly nothing you've seen before and of all the films we've talked about so far today no sudden move most resembles something that's underrated that just slipped under everyone's radar but it's still it's still on hbo max and right and 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 shows like this movies like that are why this show exists because hopefully it gets forgotten, and then you talk about it, and somebody's going to check it out and champion it on Twitter or something and get more people to watch it. That's, I mean, I saw Riders of Justice because I'd seen enough people on Twitter say, this isn't what you think. This is better than what you think. And it's not just the cast that's named. There are secret. There are secret cast, cast members, members yeah. who yeah. they didn't spoil. Yeah. And what I always compare that to was, I think enough time has passed now with Zombieland. I think so. That... I don't know how they did it, but Zombieland kept Bill Murray a secret. Yeah. And seeing it in the theater, you were amazed that they had put one over. I, right. why, haven't, why hasn't this been spoiled for me? And it was delightful, and movies should be able to do that more. It would, it would never happen again. Because think about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I haven't seen, but I know all about because I live in the world, and it has been spoiled for me. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the perfect transition. Okay, great. To the second boulder-like portion of this podcast. This is... Overrated. Overrated, which we kind of changed a couple years ago to, like, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Overrated says you're wrong for liking this. I didn't get it is I'm wrong for not liking this. Okay, I'm not wrong (laughs) for not liking this. Okay. But I need an explanation. All right. And what I have chosen to call these... Because I don't want to, I don't want to talk about them individually, because they're all symptoms of the same disease. And Patrick, you are younger than I, and all I do is shake my head. There were a number of films this year, one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six or seven, and I'm sure there's others that I didn't see which I will call the fan fiction film. Ah, yes. And my inroad to this is my son is trying to uh, be a screenwriter in Hollywood, 
And lately, his manager has told him that all the studios are interested in anymore is mining IP that they already own. Yep. So the, the, the name of the game is to find something that already exists and come up with a twist on it. And those are the things he's been working on. And the movies that I want to name here seem to be part and parcel of that same discussion. That we take something that's very beloved to my generation or Patrick's generation, and a number of years have transpired. So it's going to be harder and harder to, for instance, get original cast members to come back because they're aging out. But all of these films share something in common. The scripts seem like they were written by amateurs Hmm. who, for one reason or another, really love the original material and have come up with a way, oftentimes wrong-headed, how can we bring this back? And then it's presented. And the films I'm thinking of here, let's see if you agree, are these are in no particular order. All right. The Many Saints of Newark. I yeah. want more Sopranos no, coming to America. To America, right? With the number, the number two. two, right? Halloween Kills, okay. Ghostbusters Aftershock, Afterlife. Oh, I gave them. I deliberately made the titles wrong because I was just trying to entertain myself. <laughs> uh, Spider Man: Far from Entertaining. Okay, because I don't think it's a spoiler. There are characters from previous films that come back in different timelines. And finally, and I saw this two nights ago. Matrix resuscitation. Okay. I understand wanting more. I understand being in my 20s and wishing there was one more Beatles album. But is this all we have to look forward to? Yeah. This is the future. For the time being, yeah. So you like peas. We're going to give you more peas. Get ready for... Nothing but peas. But the problem with that metaphor is there's a difference between food and entertainment. Right. I can eat macaroni and cheese every night, and it might not be the healthiest thing, but it's dinner. Right. Um, I will say... And if you don't like macaroni and cheese, you're fucked. I will say that I enjoyed the Ghostbusters film more than most people. Okay. I know Adam Risky... Yeah, was not a fan. ...was not a fan at all. And there were a few aspects of that film that I found entertaining at the time. But like our famous podcast on Prometheus, (laughs) if you sit down and look at Ghostbusters Aftershock, it sort of falls apart in your hands. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler. At one point, Paul Rudd goes to Walmart in a scene. That's in the trailers with the little marshmallow In in a scene that screams product placement. And... Instead of the 20-foot-tall Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, there's all these tiny ones. See, it's different this time. And they engage in nonsense that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. No, but remember the Stay Puff Marshmallow right. Man? Are they supposed to be a manifestation that there are ghosts on the loose again? Is that the purpose of the scene? I didn't see the movie. I don't know. Okay. I'm sorry. I forgot that you hadn't. Yeah. Um, and I'm a fan of Paul Rudd. And in that scene, because I've not only seen it in the movie itself, but also, as you said, in the trailer, one of the few times I've ever seen him mug, one of the few times Mm -hmm. I've ever seen him overact, but I put it down to when they filmed it, they hadn't added the special effects, so he really didn't know what he was responding to. 
Um, and you just put your finger on the problem. Matrix resuscitation spends so much time explaining why Lawrence Fishburne isn't there to the extent of showing him multiple times on screens Mm -hmm. from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm wondering if Hugo Weaving and Lawrence Fishburne, who made the decisions not to be in this one... Or, according to them, weren't asked. Well, that surprises me. I've heard different versions. Because it, it really seems insulting that either I turn something down or I'm not even asked, which is worse. And then, in the case of Hugo Weaving, there's shot cuts where right. the character who supposedly his program now or whatever the, the situation is, um, the film really, the film itself really seems to have wanted Fishburne in it. And could possibly the only reason they didn't ask him was because they thought he had aged out of the Kung Fu stuff? I don't think so. I, I, I couldn't possibly speculate. Because even that scene, spoiler alert, Morpheus and Neo fight again. <laughs> that seems to be, oh, you like that right. when they fought right. before? Right. Um, I will say this. I didn't realize until the film was over that one of the characters is an original actor or actress from the original trilogy. Yeah. Under what... It was that makeup or CGI? It was amazing. Makeup, I think. I I didn't realize, and yeah. I thought it was a, a testament to the actor or actress that completely, I didn't, you know. But part of that might be, I don't think I ever saw the third one. That's possible. Um, what did you think of The Matrix reboot? I give The Matrix credit for attempting to sort of grapple with some of this. With the the state of modern movie making and it all being IP based, that's and what, what is the it? first half hour seems to be about. Yeah, and I mean, it's I, I don't think it's all successful, um, but to just kind of say like, well, what do you do in a world that only wants bullet time? What it's been given, right? And how do you how do you tell a new story? Well, I guess you give them what they want, but then try to change it. Um, I find the movie frustrating. It didn't totally work for me. But I give it credit for not just doing what Spider-Man does, which – and I enjoyed Spider-Man. Spider-Man's fine, but, like, it literally is like, remember this? At one point, <laughs> um, at one point, Keanu Reeves even says, they can do that? <laughs> um, I saw a wonderful interview online, and it was uh, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina – and oh, Jamie right. Foxx. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the um, very bland, mediocre interviewer was asking them what it felt like to be back. Or why did you come back? Mm-hmm. And Willem Dafoe has a two-minute long answer that's both pretentious and undecipherable. I mean, <laughs> I don't. It, it just didn't make any sense. Which I'm surprised because he's very yeah. verbal. yeah. And then there's a long pause, and Alfred Molina looks at the guy and says, I did it for the money. <laughs> and they let that go out as part of the press kit because, of course, 
oh, that just becomes right. part of the marketing. That, yeah, right, oh, right, right. We're, we're clever enough to know what we're doing. Um, I sound like a cranky old man, and maybe I am, but I just, they're fan fiction to me. Yeah. And I could yeah. get this, I'm guessing there's places on the internet where people who love things write short stories like I think Twilight inspired oh Harry Potter inspired a lot of that. Are we where, talking slash fiction? Well, that's where the characters have sex, right? Correct, yeah. Um cuz I've written a lot of that. <laughs> for what film series? Uh remember The Golden Compass? Let's <laughs> try to come up with something that was <laughs> for just a second I thought you were going to say The Power of the Dog. Remember The Power of the Dog? <laughs> That in slash my fiction version, writes itself. In my Let version, me tell you, Cody Smith McGee. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, Boy, does he ride Bronco Henry? To a certain extent, um, I thought the same thing about Nightmare Alley, even though it was not a reboot. That Nightmare Alley, the film I was most looking forward to this year. Um. I didn't understand why it needed to be 40 minutes longer than the original. And it was very beautiful to look at. It's sure. the it's the best looking color film I've seen all year, but to me it seemed like Guillermo del Toro had made a coffee table book about film noir instead of a film noir because the entire film kept me at a distance. It it asked me to admire it and admire what it was doing rather than pull me in and make me feel for any of the characters. Yeah, it's a weird... Um, I don't remember if they were talking... I, I heard a podcast recently that was comparing... Oh, it was talking about Spielberg's West Side Story. But I think this is true of Del Toro's Nightmare Alley to a certain extent, that that the movie that they're most reminiscent of is Peter Jackson's King Kong, because it's entirely about this filmmaker's relationship to this movie. Yeah. It's not necessarily about reinterpreting the material, um, although West Side Story does some of that. It's not about like going back and doing it the right way or what remakes so often claim that they do. It's just about, hey, I loved this thing and I wanted to do it. Right. And then I did a little research on Nightmare Alley and I discovered that the production got shut down because of COVID for eight months, but that they had actually filmed the second half first because of scheduling of some of the supporting cast. And then after COVID, or when there was a break in COVID, they went back and filmed the first part. And I thought that was interesting, because I think the first part works much better. That was all my favorite stuff in the the second half. And I wondered if my problem with the second half was the original Tyrone Power version is one of my favorite film noirs ever made. And because I saw it first, and I know where it was going... I couldn't figure out why the new version was so belabored in getting us to what I knew was the predestined end. Right. That being said, given everything else that's out right now, I think people should see Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I still like liked it overall. If only for the cast. Yeah. Um, And if you're in the L.A. area, which my son is going to be, because that's where he lives, uh, January 15th and 16th, the new Bev is showing it in black and white. Right. Which I would love to see, although it's odd because, like I said, it's one of the most beautiful color right. films right. I've seen all year. Well, hopefully it's available as like an option on the Blu-ray when it comes out. 
Right. Because I, I'd see it as a curiosity, but I don't... As I remind our listeners, there's a difference between Frank Darabont giving you the mist in black and white and you dialing the color out. Right. There's a difference between those two things. Right. You can't just You can't just turn the color off and, and get what was intended. And I never saw the Mad Max black and white, but to me there was no reason to see the Mad Max black and white. No, but there was a very definite reason to see the black and white mist. The black and white yeah, mist yeah. is fascinating. It's better. Well, it's a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> exactly. And it covers up the special effects. There's people who have problems with the special the effects? The special effects are not great. Hmm. Yeah. I think, but... My only problem with the special effects is, at a certain point, every movie has the same kind of monsters. They all sort right, of... Right, right, right. The, the Cloverfield right. <laughs> conundrum. Um, but I don't, I don't remember not well, liking the special effects. We watched the black and white version for my birthday in 2007, 2008? 2008, I think. That's probably the last time I saw The Mist. So When we went to New York to see God of Carnage because my wife had read something about it and bought tickets two weeks before it won the Tony Award, which meant that, A, we're going to make a trip to New York to see God of Carnage, uh, but also that we were able to get tickets because it right. suddenly became the show you couldn't get tickets for. Um, the cast followed the charming tradition of going to the stage door afterwards and we got to briefly talk with the cast and I was specifically talking to Marsha Gay Harden about how amazing her performance is in yeah, The Mist yeah. and she said she's amazed at how many people have told her that because in her mind it was this job that right, right, right. sort of went away right. and James Gandolfini, uh, God rest his soul was very, very nice to my son nice Um my first overrated or I didn't get it <laughs> is Halloween Kills, which you mentioned on that list. And again, Halloween Kills, to call it overrated is ridiculous because it was incredibly polarizing. There were just as many people that didn't like it as there were that loved it. But I saw enough people love it that I just thought, well, how come I didn't see that movie? Because to me, it was actively bad. Um I didn't really like any of it. And so to see people being like, no, it's a great slasher movie. And it's, it's about this and this and this. I just thought, Oh gosh, that's not the movie I saw at all. If the greatest thing you can say about a film, and this is the greatest thing I can think of to say about Halloween kills. Oh, I thought that one scene was all CGI. And it turns <laughs> out it was an actor in makeup. Isn't that curious? That's, that's the best I got. That's all I got. Oh, um, do you have any other overrateds? Um, or I didn't get it. I, I have two more, but I'll be short with them. This might be a case of it's not for me. And I saw this with you. Uh, I could not understand all the accolades that Dune was getting. Okay. I thought it was fine. I thought it was entertaining as I was watching it. But as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, all I did when I watched Dune was it made me remember the David Lynch version and how much affection I had for that. Like, ooh, Thuffir Halwat shows up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, th that's Dean Stockwell in the original. Right. Um, and the David Lynch film is not a masterpiece, and it's it's got problems of its own. Sure. But I didn't get all the accolades and maybe I should because Jan's a big fan of Dune yeah. and really, really loved the new version. But um, 
this sounds like a joke that I haven't quite put together. It left me cold. Sure. It's I, I liked it. I think it's a good, very literal translation of the book. Um, very literal. Yeah. And so it's well done in that way. And I'll be curious to see what the second half adds. And maybe as a whole, it's a masterpiece of science fiction. But I'm in kind of the same boat where it, I miss the David Lynch version because I'm like, well, I'd rather see the book interpreted through an artist as opposed to right just this is everything on the page right which isn't to say that Dennis Villeneuve is not an artist because I think he's a great filmmaker I really like him and I'm not the biggest Jason Momoa fan and I thought one of the more entertaining things in the film was his performance as Duncan Idaho I thought he really did a good job yeah he's great yeah Um, the other two that I have are Army of the Dead which I just which I cleverly avoided shrugged my shoulders um and The Green Knight, which has shown up on a lot of top ten lists, very beautifully made. I think it's exactly the movie it wants to be. It just isn't for me. Not for us. Yeah. Um, I cleverly avoided that all okay. year long. You might love it. I think Jan would really like it. Ugly. Ugly. And I saw this with you. Oh, boy. We saw and an ugly movie together? I'm not... I'm. I'm... I'm not lying here. This, besides Nightmare Alley, this may have been my most anticipated film of the year for any number of reasons. Jungle Cruise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I since for, we saw it. I forgot it. it. There you go. And since we saw it, I think I've shared this with more than one person. And I, I think this originated with you. And I give you credit. All right. That Jungle Cruise would have been better if the two leads had swapped parts. Oh, yeah. That that was you. Yeah. Obviously, uh, both of us are big Disney fans, and Jungle Cruise is a big part of Disney because it's one of the few opening day attractions that they've allowed to still be in the park because, ooh, people have nostalgia for Jungle Cruise like they have for Haunted Mansion. But how you could take this... I shouldn't say how can you do it because there's been plenty of Disney movies where they've taken a, a ride and we did a yeah, whole right, podcast right. on the Haunted Mansion. Oof. But... Jungle Cruise is very odd in that there's a villain and then there's a secondary villain and you're wondering why. Um, Which villain? Jesse Plemons? No, Jesse... From, from Power of the Dog? I I really like Jesse Plemons in Power of the Dog and I'm not a big Jesse Plemons fan. I know the day that we saw Jungle Cruise, all of you seem to have enjoyed Jesse Plemons and Jungle Cruise more than I did. I would not count myself among those okay, numbers. Okay, then yeah. you were silent in the lobby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because Jan was like, he looks like he was having fun. And and I thought it was awful. Um, a beloved character actor shows up in Jungle Cruise, and I'm still wondering why. Paul Giamatti? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was... Allowed to run rampant. I don't get it. And the kids seemed to like it, and it was two hours long. Two but, and a half, baby. Oh, my God. Well, Every movie's two and a half hours long. Which I, I'm against. Me too. <laughs> I'm All year long, I'm looking for the 90-minute films. Where, where are those? Do they still make those? Is it because of streaming you don't have 
The, I don't know the, what it is. You don't have to get people in and out anymore? I think partly it's this end of the year thing where it's like, well, it, but, but blockbusters have succumbed to it too. I mean, all of the important art films think they need to be two and a half hours in yeah. order to be important. But now the blockbusters are also three hours. And it's like, what are we doing? Oh, what? for just a second, I thought you meant blockbuster video. I wish. Um, There's a movie on my list next week. 78 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go, filmmakers. To might be. Yeah. Um, I was so looking forward to The Eyes of Tammy Faye before it came mm. out because it is a subject I'm interested in and I like Jessica Chastain. Me too. And it's so awful. <laughs> and so it both succumbs to what uh, film critic Hulk has called ant pacing, which is and then they did this, right. and then they did this, right. and then they did this. I would argue that Andrew Garfield is miscast, and because I don't know if Tammy Faye, the real person, had something to do with it, the film is bending over backwards to say, these are all horrible people, but she wasn't. Right. Her heart was in the right place. And that's not true. Right. And because the premise is a lie, although I will say, at the time... Her compassion for gay people during the AIDS crisis was commendable. Which comes I'll, through in the movie. I'll give her that. Yeah. But um, it doesn't have a point of view. Right. Other than right. here's some things that people might think of Tammy and Jim if they didn't know a lot about Tammy and Jim. It has the perspective of a funnier die sketch. Yes. And I did enjoy... Um, because I follow this gentleman on Twitter, too. Uh, Kingpin. Um, uh, in Men in Black, he's in the... Um, oh, oh, boy. I'm, no, 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 no. Um, he gets inside the farmer. Vincent D'Onofrio. Right. Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, Kingpin. Marvel Kingpin. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, sorry. the bowling movie? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm losing it. It's, it's getting late. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio plays... Uh, Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell. Yeah. And looks and acts nothing like Jerry Falwell. Yeah. But I admire Vincent D'Onofrio because he says, no, 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 no. I don't have to look or talk like him to embody his spirit. And I've seen um, other actors, uh, the actor who plays Jerry Falwell in The People versus Larry Flint is letter perfect in terms of what he looks like and how he sounds like. Vincent D'Onofrio is playing a dangerous thug. Right. And I thought that <laughs> worked, especially in a movie where they're bending over backwards with makeup and things right. to have everything look right. Right. To have him play Falwell was a decent choice. And then I saw Respect, the Aretha Franklin yeah. biography. Yeah. And not only is the same thing true of Respect, that was true of, of Eyes of Tammy Faye, and then she did this. And then she recorded this. Which I could tell from the trailer. And then she recorded this. Right. But in this case, the filmmakers weren't even skilled enough to tell a coherent narrative because, because in essence, it's her greatest hits album brought to life on the screen. There are lapses in continuity and history and the timeline where you're like, those are her kids? <laughs> I mean, it's just... Um, every bad show business movie trope you can possibly imagine, she falls in with the wrong guy. The wrong kid died. Is 
this No, no. The microphone fell. I'm sorry. It's okay. That, if you're listening in headphones, I apologize. <laughs> um, woke everybody up. It's okay. And then there's, wake up, we're almost done. <laughs> and then the other guy comes along who's a dreamboat. But mm. if we've seen enough of these movies... Um, and, and that's unfortunate because Jennifer Hudson has a lot of talent and certainly she sings beautifully and from seeing many talk show appearances where her little parlor trick when she was uh, doing promotion for this film is I sing like this and then she would sing one of Aretha Franklin's songs the way she would interpret it. Got it. And she said, I had to learn how to sing it like this and then explain what the difference is. Okay. And that's, that's sort interesting. of interesting yeah, right. on a talk show. But... Could they just release that theatrically? Well, you put out an album, right. Jennifer Hudson sings Aretha Franklin. Um, I was really looking forward to it. And... It doesn't get much worse. It's just... <laughs> I've developed an allergy... Worse, worse than Ray. Okay. I mean, I've developed an allergy to biopics in recent years for that reason. So when the trailer for Harriet comes on, I'm like, ah, eh, no, fuck that. Not Harriet. Harriet was one of them, but Aretha, <laughs> respect. Uh, when the trailer for Respect comes on, I'm just like, no, I'm going to pass on this because I know exactly what this movie is. At this point, Patrick is not diminishing the historical contribution of Harriet Tubman. No, not at all. I just, that looked like another one of these, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then Harriet did this. To be fair, I need to see Harriet because my son has expressed a great deal of interest in seeing it because he's learning about it in school and has asked to see the movie. The film, though, looks like Oscar bait. Yeah. Um... There's, I'll read through mine quickly, and then there's one specifically that I want to talk about, but my guess is you haven't had a chance to see it yet because your son has been home. Um, home Sweet Home Alone, one of the worst movies of the year. Gunpowder Milkshake, Netflix action movie. Which that I remember you talking about. I was about. very excited about. The title made me want to see it. Yeah. Uh, the Woman in the Window. Is that a remake of? I don't think so. Okay. It's a, it's a film noir with Edward G. Robinson from a long time ago. Yeah, no. And then there was a Steven Gutenberg version of it. The Bedroom Window. Right? Okay. Now I'm confused. Called something different, yeah. Um, Tom and Jerry. Which your children tried to get us to see, but at some point I have to draw the line. No, good, because they're the reason we watched it, and it was like... It was like, we're going to make a movie about this famously feuding cat and mouse. What if they work in a hotel and it's about how hard it is to work in a hotel and put a wedding together? Chloe Grace Moretz, make better choices. Oh my gosh. It was just, they, again, to, to so fundamentally misunderstand. Tom and Jerry is itchy and scratchy. Right. That's they they what fight, it is. they fight, they fight and fight and fight. That's the movie. Fight, fight, fight. What do we fight, do? Fight, fight, fight. The itchy and scratchy movie. What are we doing to have them be friends working in a hotel? I just can't understand. But again, you know what it is? It's the IP thing that we talked about of at course. the beginning of the show. It's right. IP. But this goes back to something that I talked about. I don't remember what the movie was. But there was this trend of like making movies about magical shit. And the first thing we want is like, but how can you help me with my job? It's the Smurfs. It's uh, um, Zookeeper. Kevin James. Yeah, Zookeeper. Yeah. And it's Tom and Jerry. It's like, you're a cat and mouse who are 
able to understand English and work in a hotel. How can you help me get a promotion? What the year Zookeeper came out, I wrote about that. Animals can talk. Listen, <laughs> help me with this girl. I need romantic. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfucking believable. You're an ostrich. You know women. <laughs> uh, Malcolm and Marie. Um. The worst movie of the year, Space Jam, A New Legacy. You want to talk about the nightmare of IP. Which I avoided. It's Space Jam, A New Legacy. Well, at one point in the crowd, isn't there like characters from The Shining? Because like Warner Brothers. There's you... characters from A Clockwork Orange. Right. That Which is somehow even more fucked up. Well, that's just. What... <laughs> is this for children? Yeah. Are they hoping? Oh, this is the audience of the future. Dad, what's that in the background? Can we see that movie? Is that a cartoon? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last one I was going to talk about was one that I just watched, and that's Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. Which I have decided not to see. Okay. But I'm well aware that Adam McKay is very smart and has things to tell us that we need to listen to. Because the discussion about Don't Look Up had me reevaluating his other films. Mm -hmm. And he's pretty full of himself considering where he started from. He started making good comedies. Yes. And now he makes but, this but and silly, Vice. But silly yes. lowbrow comedies. But I was missing Talladega Nights. I didn't even love Talladega Nights. But as I'm watching this, I was like, fuck, I want to watch Talladega and Nights instead of this. now he's lecturing us on the economic system in this country and a former vice president Oof. and the fact that apparently, according to Don't Look Up, we're all fucked. But did you know that, like, the media is interested in the wrong things? Wait yeah. a minute. Yeah. I didn't. You need to watch Don't I Look Up. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're I, paying I, attention to the wrong things. At first, I wanted to see it because of the, the cast. cast. Of course. It's but, not the worst movie of the year, but it's the biggest waste of resources. And it defines hitting you over the head. Oh, boy. Because the film has one point, which it which it yes. proceeds to, to make again and again and again and again. Yes. Which, Very if you go back and think about it, um, might also be the case with The Big Short. Yes, but at least The Big Short has the advantage of trying to explain a difficult concept. In, so if nothing else... In an entertaining way. You, with the you can walk lectures. away with something. Right. Um, as somebody on Twitter pointed out, like, yeah, at one point in that, in The Big Short, he literally says, like, you people are too stupid to understand this. Here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub to tell you. Yeah. So it's showing contempt for your audience, but at least you're walking away with a better understanding of something. Uh, this movie is just showing contempt for its audience. And another reason for being angry at Don't Look Up is that originally Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be the lead in Nightmare Alley. And I'm very interested in seeing the Nightmare Alley that stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. Because I think that would have been very different than the Nightmare Alley we got. And he's completely wasted in Don't Look Up. Um, and... Maybe isn't very funny, although I watched something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he's really funny in that movie. So it's not fair to say he has no comedic ability. I just think there's no comedy in Don't Look Up. Does Don't Look Up contain a lot of shouting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's one sort of funny 
running joke that I will spoil here, so I apologize. But Paul Guilfoyle plays like a general, and they're waiting to go talk to the president, and he goes to get some snacks, and he comes back with waters and goldfish or something, and he says, oh, man, they really rip you off. It'll be five bucks each or ten bucks each or something. So they pay him. Fifteen minutes later in the movie, Jennifer Lawrence is waiting to talk to the president. She goes into the room for the snacks. She looks around. There's one woman in there. She says, how much, how do I pay for these? The woman says, oh no, they're free. And she spends the rest of the movie obsessing over, why would he charge us for the snacks? Why did he lie about the snacks? And that's the funniest joke in the movie. I'm now wary of any film that shouts too much. And um, it made me think on Christmas, which is such a fun day for getting together with family. Uh, my nephew revealed at the dinner table that he's only recently learned when dealing with his children, if you lower your voice, that gets people to listen to you more than shouting. And it reminded me when I was in eighth grade, I loved movies and a teacher at my school took interest in me and gave me a copy of Frank Capra's autobiography, The Name Above the Title, which I voraciously read. And in one of the chapters, Capra says the exact same thing about movies that he learned. If you want the audience to lean forward and really listen, you drop the volume. You don't raise it. Mm -hmm. So there you go. All right. There's a filmmaking lesson for Adam McKay. Um, any more uglies for you? Um, no. I, again, I, I'd have no interest in piling on. Right. I... I like to get my money's worth, and I'd like to think that because I love movies so much, even if I see something disappointing, I find something in it that justified my money and time. Sure. I was not a fan of Nightmare Alley. I don't feel ripped off. Right. Yeah. My three ugly films made me feel ripped off, and two of the three I really didn't pay for, unless you're going to sit there and prorate my right. streaming service, right. which right. is a fool's errand. Okay. Uh, and what was the trend? The trend that you wanted to talk about? The fan fiction. Got Let's it. bring this thing back. That, okay. And you know, there's a limited amount of money in the world. This is never going to happen. But all of those films could have been something new that right, right. wasn't right. a retread. And right. I would like to see more of that because, as I'm sure we'll discuss next week. There were films that came out this year that were completely new, that weren't reboots or sequels or retreads, that were wonderful. Yeah. So it's still possible. It's not like you can't do that anymore. And one film in particular that I'm sure we're going to talk about next week was very original and, and got shit on. Oh, I'm curious to hear what that's going to be. The minute you press off, I will tell All you. All right, I'm excited. Um, thank you, J-Bones. You're welcome. This was fun. This was fun, and uh, JB will back. Will back. We'll be back next week with Adam for our favorites of 2021. Probably my favorite show to do all year. I love doing that show, so I'm very excited for it. Really looking forward to it, especially this year. Yeah. Thank you guys for being with us uh, this week and all year long. Here's hoping 2022 is is uh, a, a a new start for many of us. Let's go back to the movie.
Thanks for listening to FS Movie.